0: But after having a profound difficulty learning to read, she couldn't be more surprised to have fallen in love with books. She writes stories that find hope and hardship and shine light on goodness and strength of the human spirit. She's received a Crowned Heart of Excellence review and a five star reader's favorite award. Her seventh published novel, called The Second Time Around, comes out October 31st. Mary and I have been friends for 20 years and are now living close by in the beaches of South Orange County. She and I chatted recently about writing and creativity, and when she shared her inspirational story of going from struggling to even learn to read to now being a seasoned author, I knew it was something I wanted to share with you. And with her new book releasing at the end of this month, I figured there couldn't be a better time. If you love inspirational stories or even have been curious about what it takes to become a published author, you're going to love today's story. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for coming. And yeah, this is an exciting time you're about to release. What number book is this? Book number seven. So book number seven. For a little bit of a backstory, Mary and I met in college and knew each other just kind of in the dorms. And you came to Thanksgiving dinner at the original Bountiful Kitchen. Best
1: Thanksgiving dinner I've ever had. Maybe best meal of my life. I Oh my god. Remember gosh. that meal? <laughs> <laughs> That's,
0: That's very good. generous. But I mean, I will say that my mom's Thanksgiving is
1: It's epic. It
0: is. And then we've kind of just stayed in touch here and there, but we both live in the same kind of area in Orange County, you know, South Orange County. So yeah, it's been fun to kind of like cross paths a couple of times. So Mary, let's start from you were telling me the most fascinating story when we were driving to go meet up with another friend. A few weeks ago, we got to have pedicures, and then we were driving to meet up with a friend who was in town. So I got to hear all of Mary's backstory of kind of why you became an author, and it is super inspiring. So I'd love to start kind of from the beginning, if that's okay, with you in your childhood.
1: Well, it's, Really surprising to me that I became an author because, as a very young child, I struggled a lot with reading. So much that my kindergarten teacher kind of told my parents that I would never really learn to read; I'd be illiterate forever. That I was retarded, and that that was just something that they needed to, to prepare for. So when I, you know, moved into grade school, my parents, bless them, put me, you know, in a special program, and I learned to read, and I. I caught up probably by fifth grade with everybody and even, you know, moved on. But I had in my mind that I couldn't write, you know, and that I couldn't read and that Mm -hmm. those weren't going to be things that I was ever going to be good at, you know, just because I'd been told so much and I'd always felt like I was behind. I went into science and math and I just didn't think that I would be a reader or a writer. Wow. So it was kind of a rough start, but you know, what's interesting is I feel like I, because I had to work so hard, there's maybe a depth there, you know, with like the language that I, because I really wrestled with it and I really struggled that made me learn it better or, or, you know, like just deeper because I had to. So that's super interesting
0: that you kind of had this path that told you from a young age, this is not meant for you. Like this isn't your thing. And I feel like that's super relatable for so many people where they'll get something in their head because one person decides this is how you are. And isn't that so interesting? I mean, it sounds like you had some like legitimate challenges with reading and learning, but still it's it's interesting. But maybe let's talk about that for a minute.
1: Well, I was I'm not that old but I guess I was old enough that there wasn't a ton of some of the resources that they have now for kids. And right. I'm so glad, you know, that they do more testing and with kids with dyslexia, you know, I was never tested for any of that stuff and we just struggled through, you know, the best we could. And I remember my little sister trying to, you know, teach me and I have like PTSD every time I look at Hop on Pop, you know, and stuff like that and I'm just mm. grateful that now I think The education system is more aware and does a better job, and realizes not everybody thinks the same way. And yeah, I find this with my husband all the time. You know, he's very left-brained. I'm very right-brained, and you know, together, Mm -hmm. like we have these different strengths. But sometimes we just feel like we're speaking different languages. But because of the way you know that my brain thinks, I can make up worlds and you know characters and all of these things. That I'm so grateful for that imagination and the creativity even though it was really a struggle when I was a kid. And I I thought that I was stupid.
0: Wow. So what changed for you? Were there mentors? Were there people in your life? Was it like a moment where you kind of realized, oh, wait, actually, there's something here?
1: Well, yes. You know, there were some really special teachers, you know, along the way who Mm -hmm. would get me a separate reading program or help me see that I needed a little more help or just something different or, you know, that the phonetics wasn't working. And so let's try something else. And so I'm really grateful and I I did really well, you know, in high school and, and in college, I just didn't think that I was a writer. I just thought, yeah, my strengths are elsewhere. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I was found out that I was having my fourth baby that I started writing and I was... I probably needed therapy. You know, it's hard. <laughs> I was overwhelmed. I just felt like I was losing myself as I I was kind of drowning. And then it was like, oh, you're having another one. So I was actually, you know, just kind of praying for help. Like, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to kind of feel well and be able to continue to love my kids and, and be cheerful? And when I just sort of was struggling and Yeah. The inspiration was, was so clear, you know, it was just start writing these stories that are in your head, like start writing, writing them down. And it was, it just Mm -hmm. was so surprising to me because I, I just was like, what, you know, I, because I would, I would often, and I think it was as a child, almost a defense mechanism is that I would have these stories in my head and I would think of them and I would kind of daydream with these stories, you know, when I needed to escape from the situation that I was in, in real life. Mm, Yeah. I was back before we had iPads and stuff. And so I just went to my, my mind and I do feel like side note that it's so good for kids and people to have quiet time and to have to be able to just like be bored because that caused me to think of stories. Yeah. As an adult, I, I still would kind of do that in dreams. So God just kind of was like, go home and start writing down these stories. And I, I did. And it was really, really hard at first, but I loved yeah. it. And I was so bad. And we happened to be living on Stanford campus at the time. Well, my husband was going to school and they had these community classes that anybody could sign up for on campus, you know, with these amazing instructors. And so I took a writing class yeah. and the first yeah. time I went, I had my pages, you know, written out and I was sweating through my sweater. I was bright red, you know, just stand up in front of everybody. I mean, everybody, it was all, we're all in the same group here, but it was so scary. And Mm -hmm. it was just encouraging. They were like, keep going. You know, you've got something Mm -hmm. here. Just, just kind of that support. I kind of did that for a little while and just kept writing. And then, and then I got better and I realized, Hey, I'm not that little kid anymore who, you know, like is being told they can't do it. I'm an adult and I can do it. And maybe I'll never be able to spell really well, but I have spell check. And like, I'm okay. And and I just kept getting better and I just kept doing it. And here we are.
0: That's incredible. You started out with fantasy too. Is that correct? Yes. That was like your first genre. Yes. Okay. Talk to me about like the progression between that and like where you are now with your writing.
1: So I have thus far, and hopefully forever, just written stories that I really want to write, that I feel like in my heart. And I've never looked at, hey, what do people want? What does the market say? You know, I just am like, what is the story that I want to tell? And then I feel like it's more authentic and I'm excited about it and it's better. Yeah. So when I first started, I I started with a young adult fantasy trilogy. So it's three books and totally just kind of different, you know, than what I'm working on now, but I just felt like an accessible place to start, which is weird because, you know, world building a fantasy world is not easy and it writing a trilogy is not easy. And so I don't really know what I'm yeah. thinking, but I wasn't thinking that was the point is I was like, I, you know, these twin, it was about these twin brothers and they're separated at birth and they're raised as enemies. And I just had this idea and I just started picking at it. And it just grew. That was fun. And so I just did it. And then and then after that, I I kind of wanted to write more to an adult audience just because I wanted to to talk about some issues for adults. It's really yeah. fun to write the trilogy. And it's a lot about belonging and like being true to yourself and all that stuff. But maybe it was just where I was in life. I just kind of felt like I wanted it to be an adult voice, you know, and the, the book that's coming out in October, the woman is a 40 year old woman. She's a widow and it was, it's real life stuff going on for her. Mm-hmm. And I can use yeah. my voice more than if I'm writing as a 17 year old boy in a fantasy world. Like, and that was, that was really fun for me. And I think that I, it was, it was a very strong manuscript and a very like it felt like right now, this is, this feels really good. And, um, and betting on love, which is a romantic comedy. I wrote that during COVID at a time when, oh. you know, the world around me was just feeling really dark and it's just yes, really fun and really light. And I needed that for myself while everything else was crumbling to just write this upbeat love story where there's kind of happenstance and funny things. And, and that felt really good to me. And so I thought maybe it will feel good to other people who are also feeling the drag of the real world.
0: Yes. Well, let's pause right there because so I, Mary, I knew you were coming out with a new book, but it wasn't. It And I think currently it's about to come out so you can pre-order it. Right. Right. So I knew that, but I didn't have an advanced copy and We went on a cruise a few weeks ago and I thought, oh, I should download on my Kindle. I should download Mary's book before I go. And I thought, I'm not going to tell her because in case it's, this is so mean, but I was like, in case it's really bad, then I, then (laughs) I hear you because I didn't know I had never read anything, but I, but I do subscribe to your newsletters and I, I love your newsletters. So I was like, that's enough of a clue to know that like, this is a pretty good bet that I'm going to like it. So I texted you in the middle of the cruise. Do you remember I, what I texted you? I do,
1: but you were just like made my whole, I mean, it just, can I just say, it makes me so happy if somebody enjoyed my writing because I, I feel a little presumptuous to be like, hey, I wrote this, it's 80,000 words. You know, you should spend hours of your time reading. It, it just feels so aggressive. Oh my gosh. It's so good. I have to say it is so good. So this is what
0: happened is I had it downloaded on my Kindle and I started reading it, you know, whatever, maybe at like 11 or something in the morning, like laying out on the cruise deck while my kids were playing in water slides. And I got so into it that I stayed up till like 2.30 in the morning or something reading all the way till the end. And I was like, whatever, I'm on vacation and I'm going to do what I want. So I'm going to stay up all night. I can't stand to not know what happens. And then the next day, I text Mary and I said, Guess what I did last night? And she said, You said, I'm really bad at this game. (laughs) And I said, I stayed up all night reading Betting on Love. And it was fun to just tell you how incredible of an author you are and how that book was so fun. Like it was the perfect vacation read to just read something like really fun and. Not a children's book, not a young adult book, but not something that was like, oh, like three pages into this. This is like gross romance novel. I, there's, there's that where it's like all the way on the other end of the spectrum. and and But it was creative writing and like an engaging storyline and really, really fun. So you did such a good job. So I can't wait. I'm saving your newest book that I just got in the mail a couple of days ago for my birthday read because my birthday is in a couple days. So that is going to be my treat to myself is to read that brand
1: new book on my birthday. I hope you love it. And it is so flattering to me. And it just feels really nice that the best thing is if somebody has a hard time putting it down. And I like to keep my, you know, my plots moving and stuff happening because who has time, you know, for like extra verbiage? Nobody.
0: (laughs) Or for something to just drag. And it's like when uh, I hate that when I'm reading a book and people are like, Oh, just give it a minute. Like it gets better, like halfway through. And I'm just like, I can't, yeah. I don't think I can stay in this
1: halfway through, <laughs> you know, yeah, I do know exactly. So, so I'm like, Hey, if this yeah. scene isn't, isn't exciting, it's out. You have to yeah, be pretty brutal with editing, but I'm, I'm really thrilled. And I think you're going to like the new one. It's, it's I wait. what's it called again. It's called the second time around.
0: The second time around. I can't wait to read it. And you said it's based in Laguna Beach. In Laguna Beach. Our own that's little so
1: fun. our own hometown, which is which is yes. fun. We'll see though. I'm a little nervous because it is close to home.
0: <laughs> no, that's so exciting. I can't wait. Okay, I've always wanted to ask this. I've always, always wanted to ask an author this, and I've never gotten the chance. So what happens? Do you have like a in your mind what happens after to Tempest and Artie, who is also Artie, who's Artie, who's also Leo? He has like who's also Leonard. He has like all these different <laughs>
1: names. <laughs> Do I? Well, honestly, every author is d- different, but I don't feel like I own their future. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Like. I do feel like I created them and I like got them going and the rest is kind of up to them. Like obviously in my heart, I'm like, it's going to be wonderful, happy ever after. But I also, am like, well, that's for them. Like I let them go. And it's weird because I sort of feel like it's the same with any book. Like the book is mine for all the drafts that, that I get to do at home. And nobody reads like, my first draft until it's done and i'm like ready for feedback it's
0: just, oh interesting
1: it, because okay. it's kind of fragile you know i just feel like i'm incubating this like new creature and i don't want to damage that like tentative exploration you know and it's it's really vulnerable and then i'm ready for feedback and people i want people to dig into it and give me their 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 truth and it's so much work to, to, you know, take it from that to like the finished product. But once like it's gone into somebody else's hands, I've kind of had to let it go. Like it's, it is now yours to, to like interpret how you want, enjoy how you want. Like, cause if I feel like I'm, I have to keep controlling it, I go crazy because everybody yeah. like interacts with, with things differently. And I don't know. and. And then it, it makes it easier for me, I think, to like let people read it and let people have their opinions about it. And, you know, if you hate it or love it, like that doesn't, it's a, it doesn't matter to me. Right. Like it's not mine anymore, mm. which is sort of how I guess mm. I kind of deal with that because it, it does feel, I feel a little naked, you know, being like, yeah, yeah, that was a story in my head. Like all of those words, I wrote them and now they're like out for consumption, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, you did such a beautiful job that it's, it was easy to love and easy to just be totally hooked. So, but I want to go back to something too, that you just said a minute ago where you said you have to just be cutting things all of the time. And I know that Stephen King calls that kill your darlings. It does. And and I, I only know that because in Greg McEwan's book Essentialism he talks about that. And so I use that all the time. And Neil's like, I hate that term. That it just sounds so brutal. But I'm like, it's it's true because they become like anything that you create. Because I guess I'm a writer too. And so yeah. when I'm writing a blog post or even when I'm writing a social a social media post, I have to go back through it and go like, how much of this could I cut out and still say the same thing? But it's kind of hard when you're like but I have so much to say. So how do you do that?
1: So I will sometimes, I'm pretty brutal. You know, I have gotten to the point where I just, I'm kind of get over it. Like even I have a brand new manuscript that I'm working on and I wrote the first draft and I sent it to my first critique reader, read the whole thing, got Mm -hmm. the, the edits back and I have to, I have to rewrite a scene that I loved so much the way that it was Mm. in the first draft. But I need to change a whole thread of the story. And so I allowed myself one day to just wallow in (laughs) self-pity, truly. And then the next morning I got up and I just, I save a new document so I can kind of leave the old one. So I still have it. Even if I know no one's going to see it and it's not going to be as good as what's coming. I still will save it. And then I just, I just get, I just get back to work. And I feel like I'm to the point where I know that it will be better and I know that it's going to be okay. And, and part of that just comes from having written millions of words. Like the first yeah. words seem really, really precious. Mm-hmm. And then, after you write a million words or 10,000 hours, you know, like you got to put in the work. Once you get there, then you realize that there are more words. And I know that the edits that I need to make will make it better. And so on we go.
0: Yeah, that's really true that you have to be willing to put in that time. And I loved that you said that in the beginning too, like you just kept going and you got better. And I was watching, there's a guy that I really love his stuff about marketing. His name's Alex Hermosi He swears a lot. So just a side note, I'm not like necessarily recommending him in all, in all aspects, but he's very like some of the best marketing stuff that I've ever consumed. And he was giving advice to somebody. I was watching this on YouTube today. He was giving advice to another entrepreneur and he just was like, stop looking for the shortcuts. Like they don't exist. And if you want to be excellent at something, You just have to be willing to put in the work. And isn't that so true? And I feel like sometimes people of younger generations now kind of think that there are AI magic tools, something, wave your wand, take a pill, whatever, and you get to skip to the front of the line. And I just feel like there's nothing that you can do to actually replace the, like you said, 10,000 hours. So where did you get like all of that practice because um that was a long time if you're it was a long time. if you started when you're you were pregnant with your fourth baby how old is that baby now
1: She's 9. Yeah. She's 9 and I had my first book published in 2020. So it was Okay. It was years and I I really can't reiterate this enough because I I went to a lot of classes and I, nobody cared about, except for me, like this was a hobby at first. Right. And I'm grateful that I had a husband who was like, I want to support you in this. You go to the library for three hours or whatever, and just do your writing because you want to. And, but during nap times in the evenings, I didn't, I didn't watch as much TV, you know, as I would have wanted. Like I just made time and I dedicated so many hours that nobody cared. And it was all just on my own. And, and I know that's really hard. And a lot of, you know, that's, but you can like, they add up, even if you were to spend 30 minutes a day working on something that you loved, or you wanted to become better at,
0: it adds up really quickly. Yeah, that's so true.
1: So seven years later, I had like, seven full books, you know, written. Wow. When the first book that I had published dragon blood, that was the fifth manuscript that I wrote. Wow. So, you know, I had a lot of ones that I was really just learning and I had to just give myself grace and say, it is not a waste if this doesn't get published or if I have to rewrite it. Like, it's not waste. It's part of learning how to write well. And it feels really good to have put in that time. Like, I'm so grateful for every minute that I sacrificed to learning how to write well. Yeah. And now it's, you know, a skill that I love and feel like I can, I can come up with a story and I have the tools to craft it well, like just because I wanted to. And so I I really feel like people can accomplish a lot if they're, like you said, willing to put in the 10,000 hours and the time will pass. I mean, the next 10 years are going to pass, whether you learned how to watercolor or play the guitar or whatever, or not like, Yes.
0: Yes, that's so true. I I have recently started thinking about, thank you, Taylor Swift, my eras. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is another just story that just has stuck in my mind. I heard Natalie from Boss Babe, she has a fun podcast, talking about when she decided to finally have children. And she said it was Tony Robbins, who's a mentor of hers, said to her, Natalie, what do you want the next 10 years to be about? And she was like, well, probably probably raising my kids and being a mom. And he was like, well, then what are you waiting for? If that's what the next 10 years are supposed to be about. Thinking in that way, like, what do I want my next 10 years to look like? What is this era? Is a really interesting way to think. Because I think a lot of people are like, oh, someday, like someday when I get time, I'll develop this hobby or I'll start doing this thing that I've always said I'm going to do. Well, For a lot of people, it's write a book. And then the someday never comes if you're waiting around for... Some perfect situation where all of your bills are paid and you have absolutely zero responsibilities, and I mean, I guess some people arrive there, but it it might be later than you would have wanted if you wait
1: for that day yes, and i I love what you said about eras, and it's I'm gonna have to think about that, but I also think it's really interesting. I can't tell you how many people come up to me and say, "Oh, I'm going to write a book or here's my book idea or you know, and I was yeah. like go do it. You know, it's so exciting. I really hope. But the truth of it is it is really hard because yeah. you, you have to learn how to write really well. Right. And then you have to learn how to create a plot and characters. And there's so much that I think that people just get overwhelmed and just give up. And yeah, that's sad because, you know, I, I obviously really love writing books, but I think you have to be a little bit crazy also to really actually want to. <laughs> like, I'm like, they don't yeah. actually want to because as soon as they sit down, they're like, never mind. <laughs> right. I'm too paying totally. for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so my
0: next question is how do you know when it's done? How do you know when you have a finished product? Because for me, I feel like I'm kind of a sloppy writer in that regard where I'll look at a blog post and be like, it's fine because, you know, this is going to live for, it'll be front and center for at the most two days before there's something new replacing it. Cause that's just kind of how our content goes. Great. I have to really grasp that like done is better yeah. than perfect mentality, but it's, it seems like it's almost the opposite for you where it's like, you're really taking your time and crafting things to perfection. But when is it perfect? Like when is it perfect? When is it
1: done? Well, it's never perfect. Obviously <laughs> like ever. Um, but it's, it, the nice thing is, in that regard, I have editors, and I have steps, you know, each step of the way. Like the first edit, well, I get it as good as I can. Then I send it to my agent. And then she says all of these things that need to you know, that can be fixed. And then I do that. and then it goes to the publisher. and then there's four editors that it goes through. And so I just sort of feel like by the time it gets to like that proofreader, i mm-hmm. I would n- rather t- just, Throw up and look at it again. You know what I mean? Like where I'm, like (laughs) I have read this seventeen hundred times, and it's as good as I can get it. And then you just are like, it's done. And I'm sure any you know any of my books, if I went back and looked at it, I'd be like, oh, well, I could have totally done this differently or that differently. But you just you really just do your very best. Yeah. And then and then again, like I said, I kind of let it go. So someone told me
0: once that the only way to write a book is to write it at five in the morning every day. Is that the key? I was like, where do you get the time? I don't I don't even remember. I just heard that in passing once because it's something that I've been trying to work out for a few years now. And it's nonfiction book for me, but still, where how do you create the time and do you have kind of a routine? Cause I've heard of people like checking themselves into a hotel for x amount of days and that's how they pump out a book but it sounds like it's kind of routine for you.
1: It is. First of all, I love hearing how different writers do it because there is no right answer. It's like mm-hmm. exercising, right? Where they say like whatever exercise you're going to do is the one that's best for you. And yeah. I have four kids. They're all still at home. I'm married, you know, I I have other things that I enjoy doing and So I cannot, I just can't do 5 a.m. every morning. Like I have, I have stuff going on. So what works for me is when my kids go to school, I usually exercise, you know, I do my chores, clean up, get my headspace right, exercise, and then I sit down at the computer and I have like this three-hour block locked off every morning when my mind's fresh and the house is totally quiet. And I just... Right for like three hours. And then I get up and I go to do other stuff, the stuff that has to get done and move around again, get out in nature, Costco run, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because when I only set that three hour block per day, Mm -hmm. really efficient because I've had time to think about it. I'll take notes, I'll write myself emails, Mm -hmm. stuff on my phone. I, while I'm driving around, I will be I will be pre-writing a lot of writing for me, and probably most writers is thinking about it.
0: You're mm, Not at the interesting. Computer.
1: When I I spend time the rest of the day where I can just relax in the shower, you know, whatever my solutions to the problems in my manuscript will just come. And then if I wow. if I take notes, then I can sit down at my time that my brain knows. 9 a.m. to 12 is when we write and when we think. And then I find that I've done my pre-writing and I'm ready to go and I just knock it out. And then that is very sustainable for me, like months and years over time. You know, I can continue to do that. And it's amazing how much I can write, how many words I can write in three hours if I know what I'm working on and I feel like there's a break coming, like I'm not overdoing it. That's what works for me. Yeah. Yeah that's fascinating
0: that that's kind of how that works and mostly i had never even thought about how your ideas and your next chapters are coming in in the blank spaces in between yes. like that's so interesting that that's where the inspiration is flowing not necessarily just when you sit down because that's probably really a great takeaway for most people to just allow yourself to receive that like inspiration or beginning ideas or letting things flow, maybe outside of where you're trying to pressure yourself to come up with everything on the spot.
1: Which is why I find it really interesting, you know, the people who will go and they'll check themselves into a hotel, like that is so exhausting. There have been times, you know, where I've been on deadline where I'm like, I have to sit and I have to work for like 10 hours, you know, write for two hours, get up for half an hour, write for two hours, get up for half an And I can do that for a couple weeks, but then like I'm really worn out and I feel like yeah. i really like overdone it. And we <laughs> we do that. Like we have to do that sometimes. But yeah. I recently read a book and it just talks so much about solitude and how we have to let our minds rest and just be alone with our thoughts. And like we are meant to be creative. Like I really believe that humans are born with this innate need and desire and ability to be creative. And Mm -hmm. I, I really want people to spend more time in quiet and just let the ideas bubble up. Like people are always like, where do your ideas come from? And I'm like, well, (laughs) they come from the craziness that is inside. Like they're just bubbling up. Like we are just like, our brains are so amazing and our minds are so imaginative. I do so much better if I get up and I go and I take a walk on the beach or whatever, and just let my mind make it all up. Like, yeah,
0: well, that was actually a super helpful takeaway for me when we were together last and you were telling it was right when I was just kind of at the tail end of creating my code of free content for my private podcast. And I, I remember we talked about how there were a couple of times where I was on the deadline of when it was supposed to come out. And so I'm recording something at, at the very end of the day and my brain is just fried and you were telling me like, oh, I I have to write first thing in the morning while it's fresh. And that's another really good takeaway that I think if you have to do important work, that you're probably going to do your best work first thing in the morning or earlier in the day.
1: Yeah, I think most people are like that. Yeah. So
0: I've thought about that a lot since you told me that. And that's been helpful for me to say, okay, if we have to do something, ironically, now we're recording this like at eight eight 8.45 at night. But, but this um, isn't writing. This is just fun. This is fun. This is girlfriends fun. talking. Yeah. But when I've had to be creative and really like come up with that content, I've tried to do it more first thing in the morning or first part of my day, like after we had that discussion, because it's it's helpful and it's yeah. just better.
1: Yeah. And it is better, yeah. right? Like I notice when I sit down and I force myself, and like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen in the next scene, but I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to get up until I figure it out. It's not as good. Like I always end up having to go and redo it because there was no magic. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, you need magic. And if you want like magic, then you've got to like, let it come and mm-hmm. treat, treat those, you know, characters with a little more love.
0: Yes. So good. Okay. What's your advice for a young author starting out or even not young? You said that you were... Yeah, I was like 30. Um, yeah, you were 30. So whatever. Any beginning author who's just like, gosh, I want to do this, but I don't even know where to start. Would you tell them to go take a class like you did or...
1: Yeah, what would you tell them advice? to do advice? I would tell them to start writing. Like so many people say, I want to write, I want to write. And I'm like, well, do you, you know, like you, you don't have, like, there is no barrier to entry to get a piece of paper and a pencil and to just free write. And sometimes, you know, when I'm have time, it's so helpful for me to just free write, right? I'll take 15 mm-hmm. minutes. I'll take a notebook and a pencil and I'll just write anything, anything for 15 minutes or for three pages or whatever you decide. And then you're never going to, you know, use that again. I mean, you could, but like, it's, there are no rules. There's just anything goes. And that is a really, I think a really good exercise for anybody. They can just play, just like play and have fun at first without any pressure. Don't put pressure on yourself. Don't write stuff where you feel like you need to have it edited and get all this feedback. Because you're not there yet. Just just play and let your mind, again, be bored and see what comes up. But really, truly, you just have to start writing. And then if you like yeah. writing, you know, take classes and learn more and read what other people wrote. You have to read. You have to read voraciously to be a mm. writer. What do you read? Everything. You like read? I, well, yeah. I try to read everything that's well written. <laughs> but I love, you know, historical fiction. I love fantasy, contemporary nonfiction. So I read, I read like a hundred novels or a hundred books a year. Like I read two books, two books a week because, because I write books,
0: you know? Yes. People and it does make you smarter. It yeah. makes your vocabulary. If you're reading good books, if yeah. you're reading good quality Read books, good not if you're reading like books dumb trash,
1: but if you're like reading... that are well written. And then, <laughs> yes. what people are doing. There have been times where I've actually copied down a paragraph just to see how it feels to write. You know what this this author wrote. You know because every every writer has a different voice and they they use the language a little bit differently. So pay attention. Be like that was a really beautiful sentence. How did they do that? Or what? what were they doing and and just pay attention to the world around you just kind of wake up and then start writing
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah i love that do you have a favorite author or a favorite book like all time favorite book oh,
1: this is a really hard question because i i don't have an all time favorite book because there are so many that i love i really like leanne moriarty's ability to make characters really real and all tied together. Like her books are so well-constructed. I love Leigh Bardugo's fantasy worlds and like just the joy that is reading her stories. They're so fun. If you need just, just an adventure. I love, I love hers. I love so many people. I mean. What about like a classic?
0: Do you have a favorite classic? Oh,
1: I don't know any, I don't know those authors. I love Pride and (laughs) Prejudice. You do. (laughs) It's, it is also like, there is a reason that it is so popular. Like I, I actually really appreciate when people go back and see these original writers. Like if you, if you, we, we don't read Shakespeare anymore, but if you go back and you look at what he's done. It's so impressive. I'm like, it's brilliant. Yeah, are brilliant. Like for hundreds of years, yeah. we're copying Romeo and Juliet. Like that's so amazing, and yes. it's fun. Like Pride and Prejudice is the word. The wording is different, but I'm also like the way that she captures characters. I love characters. You know, and I'm like these these people in this book are still relatable to all of us. Yeah. Like that's so beautiful to me. Yes. So nerdy. I'm such a nerd. I just like totally nerded out. (laughs) It's not nerdy. I love it.
0: Okay. So last book question is, will you stay in like the romance genre? Do you think, or?
1: I think I will for the next couple of books. This publisher is publishing the second time around. They specialize in this contemporary fiction, kind of a women's women's fiction a little bit, meaning, you know, that it has more than just a love story going on, which I like, you know, a little depth. Yeah. So I think the next few will be, and then I have a few that I'm working on that are a little different that I'm excited about. Just fun. I just like to explore different things. And so I have, I think that definitely I am allowing myself to write whatever. I want, so I I feel like any genre is open to me, which the publisher doesn't agree. (laughs) Well, you know
0: what? The (laughs) most famous, not the most famous, but I I would say probably the most successful woman in the world right now, as far as business goes, is the master pivoter of all genres, Taylor Swift. I mean, (laughs) honestly, like...
1: I totally thought you were going to say J.K. Rowling.
0: (laughs) Oh, (gasps) has she gone? What? Has she gone in and out of different genres?
1: Well, yeah, she just writes under different names, but she has like a very good thriller line. Like she does. Oh, but yes. Go back to Taylor Swift, who is the queen. We have (laughs) have a few queens. I just want to shout out to like all these women. Yeah,
0: that is cool. And and actually I my girls really love to read. But during COVID, J.K. Rowling and the Harry Potter series was just where my oldest daughter got completely lost in those books. And I really think that that helped her get through that hard time because that was her escape. And and I saw her love for reading just doubled, quip, triple, quadruple, like so just so quickly because those books were so captivating for her. And so that was just such a gift to watch my daughter learn to love to read and, and just get like, like be in her room for hours reading. And my husband was like, is this okay? Like, is it okay for her to isolate? And I was like, this is literally the best thing that could ever happen as a parent. Like watching your kid get lost in a book. Because he doesn't read that way, but I do.
1: And I'm really happy that you said that because it's just like a plug for reading. Like, yeah, it is so healthy to read. And yeah, like stories are so important. And it makes me really happy. And I do think that that is one thing that J.K. Rowling has done so well is bring children like these, these stories and get them to love reading. And you can, there's so much, I mean, real science that just talks about how healthy and good for, you know, mental health and social, like just intelligence and emotional resilience and all that stuff from, from reading stories, good books, good books. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
0: So true. Okay. Mary, last question. If there is one message that you want the person listening to this episode to remember, what do you want that one message to be?
1: I would want the message to be that you are stronger than you think you are, that there is always hope. And a lot of my books, like they are, they're raw and they're gritty and they like meet you in that dark place. And then I always want to end with a message of like the strength of human spirit And Mm -hmm. that you, you can conquer whatever it is in your life and that you are strong enough and good enough and that have hope and like carry on. I love that. Well, Mary, where can people find you and find
0: your new book and pre-order it? And when does it, when exactly is it going to come out? Like, when will it hit their doorstep? Oh, so, all yeah. of that good stuff.
1: The second time around comes out on October thirty first, and so it's so really exciting. fun. And it's just anywhere books are sold. Amazon's always a great place. Yes, Barnes and Noble, you know wherever. But all like you can MaryBeasley dot com is like you can link to anything or find out more about me or join our nerdy little newsletter. And we have I love the newsletter. It's really fun. That's really nice of you. But I just also love connecting, you know, with people because I do feel like writing's isolating, you know, and I'm doing this all on my own. And then it's really, it's really beautiful for me to to be able to talk to people who have connected, you know, with something and like Dragon Blood, I got an email from this sweet teenager who was just really struggling with depression and she just you know sent me this email about how you know dragon blood had like helped her so much and just to feel better and feel like it was going to be okay and I'm just I just love that like I just was like Aww. yes you know like so I just I'm I'm you know here at my computer by myself but I also am I love connecting so it means so much that you would have me on and that you would chat with me and that I could geek out a little bit and thank you
0: Well, thank you. This was super fun for me, too. And I I learned a lot, as
1: always. I always love seeing your beautiful face.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages.